Hello, and welcome to Sewer Signals, a podcast on utility experiences with wastewater surveillance. I'm Anna Marotra, Director of the Wastewater Surveillance Program at the Water Environment Federation, and I'm really looking forward to my conversation with Bruce Adams in Cortland, New York. Good morning, Bruce. It's great to be with you. How are you doing? Uh, Good morning. I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a Friday morning. What else could be better, right? So Bruce Adams is the Cortland Wastewater Treatment Facility Superintendent, where he has worked for the past 37 years, advancing from operator trainee to department head. A grade 4A certified operator in New York State, he is also the city's point person for a state-funded food rescue and reuse program in partnership with a local NGO. And I was telling Bruce before we started recording that that's like a whole other discussion, the food rescue and reuse program. So we'll have to save that for another day, but it sounds super interesting. But a little bit about the city of Cortland. Cortland is located in central New York, um, and it's known as a center for music and performing arts. With a population of about 18,000 people, the city has a rich industrial history as the site of truck, typewriter, and wire hardware cloth manufacturing. The city's one wastewater treatment facility has a capacity of 9 million gallons per day, um, also can treat higher wet weather flows, but treats on average about 5.2 MGD from residents in Cortland and three smaller outside communities. The treatment facility recently underwent an upgrade to its anaerobic digestion process to accommodate dairy waste and set the facility up to reduce its carbon footprint to near zero. All right, Bruce, we're going to dive in. But before we get to wastewater surveillance, I wanted to talk a little bit about anaerobic digestion. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with that process, would you mind telling us a little bit about the process and what combined heat and power is and how that all has to do with greenhouse gas emissions? Uh, Sure. All of the organic solids that are removed from sewage so that you can safely discharge it to uh, a receiving water also have to be treated before ultimate disposal. Anaerobic digestion is one method of getting that that treatment. You know, anaerobic digestion is a little more complicated than the more popular aerobic digestion, but the benefit is that it produces a biogas, which is a mixture of about 35% CO2, 65% methane, and is usable as a fuel. Uh, We had historically used it in boilers to provide plant heat, but when we had a dairy producer site a facility within our collection area, uh, we were able to upscale that and uh, we installed a 500 kilowatt generator to provide uh, power and heat for our plant. You know, our plant typically has a demand of 325 to 350 kilowatts. So we can not only meet all of our own needs, but export the extra onto the uh, grid. And uh, to date, uh, we have produced enough electricity to uh, avoid the equivalent of 3000 metric tons of CO2. Wow, that is really impressive. Thanks, thanks for that overview. It's, it's great to hear that, that you're able to contribute to, to um, reducing greenhouse gas emissions in that way. Okay, now on to wastewater surveillance. So when and how did Cortland get started with its wastewater surveillance program for COVID? 
In May of 2020, I got an email from Mike Ryan, who is the environmental health person with our local county health department, advising of a webinar about wastewater surveillance for COVID. And I attended the webinar. I was just blown away by what I saw. It was led by Dr. Larson, who headed a team composed of people from Syracuse University, uh, SUNY Environmental Science and Forestry, and SUNY Upstate Medical University. Uh, and they talked about, one, the methodology that they had developed, which involved filtering samples through a sucrose cushion under ultra centrifugation, yeehaw, in order to concentrate the DNA material that they would be analyzing. Uh, and then they talked about the results they'd had so far, and they were able to show very clearly how the infection spikes moved through Onondaga County. They were getting samples from five different Syracuse area facilities. And so they were able to show that, you know, the uh, infection spike started in the, on the northern end of Onondaga Lake, and they, uh, they related that to a nursing home that had an early outbreak there. And so I was just blown away. And he, uh, Dr. Larson mentioned that they were hoping to enlarge their program to cover all of New York state. So I got in touch with him after that and said that we have a uh, wastewater plant that covers two thirds to three quarters of the, of the citizens of Cortland County, and we'd be interested in participating. So later in May, uh, we sent our first sample, and uh, except for a lull between June of 21 and January of this year, uh, we've been participating in it. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I'm so impressed with what Dave Larson has been able to do with the program in New York State. So obviously, the three academic institutions you mentioned, those have been some of your partners in this effort. You also mentioned your local health department as sort of being the initial connection to this webinar. Who sort of would you say your partners are currently in your wastewater surveillance effort? My local uh, administration, mayor and common council. Uh, in fact, back in uh, 2020, when uh, we first were involved, when they were developing the technology, they simply ran the testing. Uh, once they you know, the research team had a handle on it. They spun off basically a business, uh, Quadrant Biosciences. And at that point, they required payment. And so I went to my council and said, you know, this is, this is going to cost money. Wastewater surveillance is not our core mission. Our core mission is treating wastewater and thereby protecting public health and, uh, and the environment. But uh, to their credit, they authorized the use of uh, up to $10,000 to participate for a year. So the mayor and the council are still very, very interested in pursuing this, uh, particularly now that the state is picking up all of the program costs. The local health department, actually in 2020 and 21, they were so consumed with their response to the uh, pandemic locally that they really didn't have the bandwidth to take in the, the data points that wastewater surveillance offered. So 
uh, although I certainly forwarded all of the test reports that I got from them, I'm not sure that they were making much use of it. So this year, when we got back into the program, I made a, uh, a definite point of trying to engage the health department, and uh, they are now very engaged and very interested. And we have been working with Dr. Larson, has been very generous with his time in helping them to understand uh, what wastewater surveillance can do for them. That's wonderful. And this is your Cortland County Health Department. Okay, great. Okay, let's get into the nitty gritty. Where are you collecting samples for this program? At your Influent? Yes, uh, we uh, do a 24-hour flow-weighted composite every single day. In that sense, it is no extra effort for us to just draw a portion of that Influent sample. I actually just got an email from... uh, Dr. Hyatt Green, they have found out about the testing of settled solids, and uh, they're interested in trying that, and they've asked if we can supply that, and of course we can. I told them the first I had heard of it was at our COP meeting last week, so that's very interesting to be involved in that at this point. Oh, thank you for plugging the COP, Bruce. That's awesome. <laughs> so are you, you're talking primary sludge. Correct. You, you'll be able to take those samples for Dr. Green. Okay. Yeah, that's great. So just out of curiosity, because we talk about this a lot, you mentioned, you know, your mission is to treat wastewater and ultimately to comply with your permit. And there are few places where influence sampling is required under that permit. I know in the state of Kentucky, there is an example where influence sampling is required. It's written into the permit. In the state of New York, Is that a typical requirement? Is your 24-hour flow-weighted influent composite a permit requirement, or is that something you do because you want to understand loadings to your facility? The permit requirements are largely dependent on facility size. And so a facility our size, yes, we are required to do composite samples on both the influent and the effluent twice a week. Uh, We do it every day for process testing needs. Uh, So, you know, for example, we were involved with a uh, a small facility some years back. They were a uh, facultative uh, treatment pond process. And, you know, they only required a a six hour composite once a month. Quite a difference. Thanks, that's helpful for for people to understand. All right, so you're already doing the daily 24 hour flow weighted composite for permit, but also process considerations. Who, who actually collects those samples for you? Uh, so we have, we have a full staff of 10 for the department, six of whom are operators. And so we rotate functions. Uh, we don't like to you know, pigeonhole any of our operators into specific roles, but rather everybody should be a jack of all trades. So we rotate uh, operators in and out of lab duties, and uh, whoever is on lab duty collects the composite samples, uh, prepares samples for testing and or for sending to our contract lab. Okay. And so the contract lab you're sending the samples to for the SARS-CoV-2 analysis, is that still Quadrant Biosciences, or is it a New York State lab, or who's doing that sample analysis? Yes, it's still Quadrant Biosciences in January of this year. Well, June of last year was when we exited the program because local 
infection rates had fallen to near zero and I had gone through the $10,000 uh, that the council had authorized. In January, Dr. Larson reached out and said they'd gotten state funding and uh, the funding includes overnight shipping and materials. Uh, and so we were more than happy to uh, jump back into the program. And then kind of talk me through the logistics of once your operator on lab duty pours off a portion of your 24-hour flow-weighted composite into the bottles provided by, are they provided by Quadrant Biosciences? What has to happen between that pouring off of that sample to getting the sample to the lab? And, and where are the tricky parts along that, that process? Uh, yes. Uh, Quadrant sends uh, shipping supplies eight weeks at a time. Uh, they're basically uh, cardboard boxes with styrofoam shippers inside of them, a sample bottle inside a Ziploc bag because they are uh, UN3373 noted as biological specimens. And so the requirement is that there be secondary containment, absorbent materials, blah, 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 the whole thing. So I put the sample in the, uh, in the cooler, put in a couple of uh, ice packs. I put in some craft paper just because I don't like shipping boxes that rattle. And then I uh, tape it up, affix the uh, prepaid UPS shipping label and drive it to a local uh, UPS pickup point, which I had to change. The first one I was going to, which was only a few blocks away, I, I went to for quite a while. And then uh, the research team reached out and said, uh, you know, we'd like to put together a video about this whole process. Could you take video of uh, you guys collecting your sample, packaging your sample and sending your sample? Sure. So when I went down to this place and said, hey, this is what I'm doing. Is it okay if I just video myself dropping this off? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Video or uh, Corporate is really weird about cameras in the store. Let me check with my regional manager. And, and he came back and said, no, I'm sorry. Can't do that. Okay. So uh, no problem. The next week I came back and they said, yeah, no, uh, regional manager doesn't want to accept this, this material at all. Oh. Oh so my I goodness. Switch to a, a different uh, drop off point, which is only a few blocks further away. So it's not a big deal, but that was, that was interesting. Oh, that is interesting. Okay. But did you get your video done? I did not. Oh well, no. I, I, I did. I did the two videos, sample collection and sample uh -huh. prep. And sample. But not drop off. Right. Okay. So interesting. And you're, this is twice a week. You're taking samples. No, we are doing it once a once week. Once a week. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They're talking about trying to get it to twice a week, but I've not heard anything further on that. Okay. All right. So my next question was related to the challenges that you faced with sample collection and shipment. So you just talked about one, which is kind of the squeamishness around, you know, accepting domestic sewage, even though it's, you know, double contained with an absorbent pad in it. And it's, is also technically, you know, not hazardous waste. So, so that's an interesting one. Any other sort of challenges that you faced in this whole, you know, since you've been involved really over the last couple of years, minus your hiatus in there? Right. During the initial run with the program, uh, sample transport was an issue. You know, they first few weeks, they actually had somebody come and get it from us. Then Tompkins County also got involved. And so somebody from their health department on their way up 
through to Syracuse. They picked ours up. But Tompkins County invested in some clinical testing equipment. And so uh, they felt they no longer wanted to be involved in the program. And after that, I ended up driving the, uh, the sample up there every week, even though I was promised by the uh, finance director that he would share duties. But I think that happened exactly once. <laughs> well, that's technically sharing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So this is so interesting, Bruce, because I hear this over and over again, that it's it's just the logistical challenges of getting the sample from your facility to the lab. That That seems to be the sticking point a lot of the time. I believe that because uh, the, the the people at Quadrant, you know, were sharing with me that some of their uh, some of their participating facilities, it's a hike to get mm-hmm. to some place to take that that package. You know, we're Cortland is a fairly small city, but you know, we still have options for you know simple drop offs. Right. You know, they were telling me about facilities that they have to drive twenty miles to drop off their package. Right. And as we think about, you know, as we as a, as a country think about expanding this technology into more rural underserved locations where, you know, um, healthcare access is an issue, you know, so thinking about using wastewater surveillance as a way to kind of fill in those public health surveillance gaps. These are the challenges that we are facing, right? You still need to get the sample from point A to point B. Indeed. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the data now. You know, you're producing data once a week. It's part of the the state dashboard, which I'll share a link to that in the in the episode notes. What's your sense now of how the wastewater data are being used? Uh, so every week when the information is sent to me, I forward it to uh, the mayor, the council. Uh, my wastewater advisory board, the health department, uh, one of the county legislators, and a few other people. And I also typically uh, will add commentary on trends, commentary on the, you know, the larger COVID-19 picture, you know, and things that I pick up from the news. It does seem to, uh, you know, to be well-received. I honestly don't know to what use it's put, but I provide the information and, you know, and these communities leaders will then have that data to use when interacting with their constituents in the case of the council and mayor, or, you know, it's a, an additional data point for the county health department. And, you know, we have found that it tracks very well with active cases a week out. And what are you see? What are the data showing right now? Right now, we're uh, fairly, fairly low and stable. Our most recent three weeks samples were in the range of 18 to 19 gene copies per milliliter. Yeah, I'm always amazed. I just didn't think when, when I started working in this field in April 2020, I just didn't think we'd still be looking for SARS-CoV-2 in wastewater, right? In the summer of 2022. Um, But here we are. All right. You talked about this a little bit and how the program is funded, and that's changed a little over time. You talked initially about your sort of council allocation of that $10,000, but now the program is funded by New York State. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. All right. Now, again, Looking forward to a time when we're talking less about COVID, (laughs) 
What are some non-COVID applications you'd like to see wastewater surveillance used for? Uh, well, there are so many communicable diseases that transmit through feces. So wastewater is a perfect medium uh, for testing that in a cost-effective manner. And I've really been thrashing that idea for, for want of a better word uh, with the local health department and beyond communicable diseases. Uh, uh, Dr. Larson has talked about possibly using it for tracking drug use. You know, yes, everybody uses the toilet. Uh, the metabolites of drugs are, you know, can be tested for. I don't know how one would differentiate between uh, legitimate prescribed drugs and illicit use, but then I'm not a researcher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Somebody has got to know the answer to that. Right. What is the, have you talked to your say local health department about that? You know, is there interest in tracking uh, drug use among the public health folks in your area? Uh, yes, very much so. I, uh, I've actually facilitated conversations between the health department and Dr. Larson. Uh, they are very interested in the potential uh, uses of wastewater surveillance for public health purposes. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah. And you, you said it so nicely that what the value is in this, um, it's efficient, cost-effective and applicable to a wide range of pa pathogens, but also health concerns. So well, when you look at the history, you know, how it was used, you know, to uh, help eradicate polio in third world countries where there is no infrastructure and very little funding. And yet uh, wastewater surveillance because it's so low cost and because it doesn't require the active participation of individuals to go and get a clinical test. You know, you can identify an outbreak and bring your resources to bear there. That really shows just how effective it can be as a public health tool. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so what's the best way for people to learn more about the New York State program? probably starting at the really awesome website and dashboard that, that Dr. Larson and colleagues have put together. But anything else, any place else people should go online, anyone they should talk to if they're interested in learning more? The state health department has a, uh, a very thorough website for tracking uh, COVID-19 data, everything from infection rates, uh, which you can track down to zip code uh, granularity to uh, vaccination percentages. I regret to say that uh, Cortland County has some pretty low uh, vaccination participation, but uh, yeah, a lot of that information is available on the, uh, the state health department's website. Uh, and I will say that the dashboard that uh, Dr. Larson's team has come up with is, is really phenomenal. Where they've brought it from their first iteration uh, is, is quite phenomenal. Okay, let's move to a, a lighter topic. What would you recommend that people see in Cortland? Uh, the 1890 house is always a, an interesting visit. This is the, uh, uh, the mansion uh, that was built by the Wickwire family. Uh, the Wickwires were the, uh, the family that started the wire hardware cloth or wire drawing business that you mentioned at the mm -hmm. outset. Uh, so the 1890 house is maintained as a museum, uh, is decorated period appropriate. Their, uh, their guides and docents are very knowledgeable. So that's, that's always a very interesting visit. 
<laughs> the, the door hinges were custom made with a hardware mesh motif. Uh, there's a lot of detail. in that. Oh, that's so cool. And then I would imagine in the fall, apple picking is a, is a fun thing to do. And there's a Cortland apple, isn't there? Uh, there is. It was developed by Cornell. And, uh, you know, they named it Cortland. I don't think it really had anything to do with Cortland per se, but it is my personal favorite apple. It has, you know, just a crispness and a tartness uh, that is great for eating from the hand. Ah, excellent. That's good to know. Bruce, thank you so much for for taking the time to share your experience with the program over the last couple of years, your your expertise on on wastewater process, certainly, and just your time. I really, really enjoyed our conversation together. There will be links to the things that were mentioned in the episode in the episode notes um, on the website. And again, just thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you.